All right, Matthew chapter 6 tonight, we're going to be in just a minute. Matthew chapter 6. Let me ask you to stand with me. Matthew 6 is where we're going to be. In the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and, and hear Matthew ch- chapter 6 and just take it verse by verse and go through this uh, incredible passage of Scripture together and uh, look at the importance of it. So tonight's just kind of introductory thought, the idea of prayer and uh, Jesus' instruction to us. And so each week we'll read the prayer together. And then we'll emphasize a different portion, and tonight will just be the first part of, of verse 9. We'll start our reading there. Jesus speaking to His disciples, and this was His instruction. He said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for tonight and Lord, for this day. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight as we look at this incredibly important subject of prayer. Uh, Lord, one, each of us can and should grow in. And Lord, thank you for this vehicle you've given us to communicate with you and to get to know you better. Lord, to have our lives changed and to impact the world around us. Lord, may this uh, series and and the thoughts tonight uh, be a help uh, to us as we reflect on our relationship uh, with you and our uh, involvement in changing the world around us and ourselves. So we ask for your help tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get into the message tonight, I did forget one announcement. This Sunday is a Ministry Involvement Sunday, and I want to encourage you to be part of that uh, and be here Sunday morning and Sunday night. I have a few things planned for that day, but that's just an opportunity for you to really evaluate where you're serving in the church, if you're serving in the church. And uh, we want to always be having um, on-ramps into ministry and off-ramps as well. And so uh, we'll talk more about that on Sunday. We'd really like to see some more people involved in our greeter ministry as well as our children's ministry. I'll have some statistics for you. Uh, but we'd really like for people that have been serving for a long time in, in areas of ministry to get a break and get involved in another area uh, and just rotate things up a little bit. And again, more information to come. Uh, but looking forward to Sunday, I want to encourage you to be in prayer about that and, and then be present as well. All right? Okay, back to prayer. Jesus was a person of prayer. And in His time on earth, as we look at His life in the Gospels, uh, we find Him as, as a man of prayer in Scripture. We see Him habitually rising in the morning, often uh, before daybreak. And, you know, as you read the Bible and you get these mental images, you can almost see Jesus, you know, getting up before other people were up. It's still a little dark outside. The sun hasn't quite yet risen. And maybe it's just a little bit of light that's out there. And He gets up and He goes to a remote place, as He would often do, and He would commune with His Father. And, you know, today we think of that time, at least I do, I think of that time as, as a time with the Lord with a cup of coffee and a Bible. Um, I'm not sure He had either one of those aids or those things. Uh, he didn't, of course, have the New Testament. It was yet to be written. Uh, access to the Old Testament and the Scriptures in this day would have probably just been at the temple. And so He would have just had Himself and the Lord. And then we read that He didn't just pray in the mornings alone, but often in the evening time. He'd go out by himself after the busy day, after working hard, after ministering to people, after spending time with his disciples. He'd go out again as the sun was setting. He'd go out alone oftentimes and he would commune with the Lord and he'd find a quiet spot to pray. 
We know from the feeding of the multitudes and his meal at the Last Supper that Jesus gave thanks before he ate. That's not necessarily a rule or a scripture in the Bible that you have to pray before you eat your food or you're in big trouble with God. But it was an example um, that he said, and it's a good one for us to follow. In Matthew 11, we read of a short prayer of praise that he offered to God. In John 11, just before he raised Lazarus from the dead, we overhear a prayer of gratitude and a prayer of thanks before God. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus commended the lowly tax collector who simply prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus used that as an illustration of prayer and how a prayer that many of us would and should pray. In John 12, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he knew in that moment he was going to die there and he would never leave there again, including, included in his request was for his disciples that they may be as one. And he said, even as we are one, it was this desire that the disciples would have unity and love for one another in spite of their many differences. He was asking God for unity amongst them. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before his crucifixion, he prayed, my God, my God. And then he said this, why hast thou forsaken me? In Saul, I'm sorry, he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Then he said, nevertheless, not my will, he said, but your will be done, as was mentioned in the model prayer tonight. From the cross, of course, this is Psalms 22 and Psalms 31 that prophesied these things when Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And again, into thy hand, he said, I commit thy, my spirit. From the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. All of these prayers are important precisely because it was Jesus who prayed them. In Matthew 6 and Luke 11, though, the prayer that he offered is a little bit different. And it's, it's different, and we've, we've dubbed both of these passages the Lord's Prayer, and they both follow the same, the same model of Scripture and praying. They're, the, they're almost the same. Matthew adds a little bit more to the text. And, and all of his prayers are important. But nowhere else does he say, as he says in Luke 11, verse 2, he said, when ye pray, say. Like, this, is, this, is, this is the instruction. This is the model. When you pray, this is how you're going to pray. In Matthew chapter 6 that we just read, he said, after this manner, this, this type, therefore pray ye. Here's the kind of prayer. Here's the model. Here's the formula, if you will, for prayer. And it is through this prayer that we learn so much about our communication with God, about how Jesus communicated with his Father, and we learn about the heart of God and his expectations from us. All throughout the Bible and history, God's people, the ones who walked close with him, were people who prayed. Prayer is essential to relating to God. It's to be done on a daily basis, and it's to be done throughout the entirety of one's life. Prayer is something that every single one of us should have engaged in today, not just one time, but probably multiple times. Prayer should be something that we as individual Christians and as a corporate body tonight, we should be praying uh, this evening and we will. It should be done when you get up tomorrow morning. It should be done throughout your day. And this is the idea that scripture teaches. The most basic act of prayer is expressed in two words. And it's one of the most important words we'll ever pray, prayers we'll ever pray. And it's simply this. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You're good to me. It's a, it's, a, it's a perspective shift. It's, Lord, you're awesome and you're good. Thank you. When we're struggling with sin, guilt, shame, 
a prayer that we should pray frequently is simply this, forgive me. Like, I'm imperfect, you are not, and I need your forgiveness and your help. When we're hurting, troubled, or afraid, it's help me. <laughs> we pray that one a lot. Well, help me. And it's, it's appropriate to pray that. Daily, we should be offering our lives to God and not just saying thank you, not just saying forgive me, not, not just saying help me, but Lord, use me. Lord, use my life. Use me today in your service to make an impact in my home and in my world, in my church, the people around me, in your kingdom. On many of our phones, we have the prayer emoji, and it's represented by two hands that are pressed together, pointed upward. And, and the wonderful thing about prayer is it's not limited to any particular posture or hand placement. In the Bible, people prayed, and we learned this in Genesis, they prayed while they were standing. They, they prayed in First Timothy, lifting up their hands uh, in this posture towards heaven. They prayed while they were sitting in Judges, kneeling in the book of Mark. In John, they were looking upward. In Exodus, they were bowing down. In 1 Kings, the, the prayer was with one's head between its, her, uh, his knees. I think it was Elijah that, that prayed that way in 1 Kings 18. In Luke 18, there was beating of breasts before heaven, an emphasis to gain God's attention. In Daniel, prayer was facing towards the temple. It's how he prayed. A prayer is not just a formal exercise. It doesn't matter what position we're in. In the Bible, all, people also prayed while they were crying tears, while they were fasting, while they were sighing, while they were <sighs> groaning, while they were agonizing with broken hearts and psalms, while they were making sacrifices, even through the singing of songs. And many of the songs that Jesse leads us in, it can be a prayer of praise to God. And even in our, in our scripture reading, prayer isn't limited to a specific place. The Bible records people praying in various places. They would pray in battle in 2 Chronicles, and in many other places. David prayed in a cave. People prayed in closets. Jesus prayed in a garden. Prayer was offered on mountainsides, by rivers, by seas in the book of Acts, in the streets, in the temple, in bed. The psalmist wrote many times about being in bed and in prayer, in a home, in the wilderness. Jesus, of course, on a cross. And there is this prayer that permeates Scripture in all places and in all types of ways through the lips and hearts of all kinds of people. And prayer should be done at all times. Daniel prayed three times a day. In 1 Kings, we read about prayer in the evening, before meals, after meals, at bedtime. Luke just says, do it often. Jeremiah and Daniel, when they were young and old, were men of prayer, when in trouble, Luke 18 and 1 Thessalonians 5 just says, just pray always. Like, let's just cover our bases here. We need to be people of prayer. And if there is anything the Bible as a whole teaches us about prayer, it's that we have access moment by moment, power with God found through prayer. Amen. That's awesome. But that's a responsibility that God's given to us. Those in Scripture who made the biggest impact and lived the biggest lives they were people who prayed. The Old Testament examples are endless. All the great men prayed. Moses and Elijah and David and Nehemiah, and you picked your favorite Bible character. If they were used of God, they were men who prayed. So much of the Psalms are written by great men and their prayers. 
And David in Psalms 86, he was praying to God. And even in his prayer, he was saying, bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear me. It was so important to him that God would pay attention to him. In the early church, they prayed. They learned to pray. Before the day of Pentecost, the Bible says 120 disciples were gathered in the upper room. These weren't just the immediate 12 we immediately think of. These were men. These were women. The Bible says in Acts, they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication of these 120 people. It says they were with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And here they all are together and they are praying. The founding there. And when God led the apostles to bring structure and administration to the church, the apostles recognized that prayer was the only answer to effective ministry. God said, I want this church to be run this way. I want it to have administration. I, and they said, okay, in Acts 6-4, then we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's important in the way that churches run and that the leaders in the church and, and those who stand and teach and those who stand and preach and those who stand and lead, be people of prayer. And Paul prayed and he emphasized this so much in his writings. Continually he was praying. Throughout his life he maintained a commitment to pray for others. In fact, he wrote that his prayers occupied him both day and night. The man was in fervent prayer. To the Romans he wrote, For God is my witness that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my... And he said prayers. He had a long prayer list. And he was writing to this church in Rome. And he said, I I'm praying for you all the time. He encouraged the Thessalonians. He said, I want you all in your church to pray, and I want you to pray without ceasing. Like, don't stop. Don't give up on it. It's not just something you do Wednesday night as a corporate church body. It's something that's supposed to be part of your DNA as a Christian, part of your church. Be people of prayer. He commanded the Philippines to not be anxious. He said, don't get so stressed out. Don't get so bound up. Don't be so concerned about things that are going on in the world. Don't be so anxious. He said, don't be watching the news and get your heart all, all wound up tight, get frothy mouthed about the world. He said, don't be so anxious. He said this, this is what you're supposed to do with that anxiety and with that worry in everything by prayer and supplication. And by the way, make sure your perspective's right. He says, with thanksgiving, because a grateful heart changes everything, and it takes the frown, and it turns it upside down. And that's an important part of prayer. We don't come and be gripers before God. He says, let everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He said, let your requests be made known unto God. Bring them before them, Him. He told the Colossians to continue in prayer. And watching the same with thanksgiving. Again, there's that word. He, told the, he helped the Ephesians combat the world. He said, I know you're fighting things. And I know there's a lot of issues here. But he said, we need to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, he said, for all saints. He said, you know, pray for each other. We need to be upholding one another in prayer. And they were to uphold Paul in prayer. And as I mentioned a moment ago in the beginning of the sermon, Jesus himself modeled this. It was important to his heart. He wanted us to be people of prayer. And he asks his disciples to follow him in this endeavor. And we need to be committed in this way to him, to one another, and to our world. So why should we pray beyond that command? Well, a few thoughts tonight. 
I think the first is simply this. Prayer is essential for the believer's ability to properly function in the world. We, we cannot be followers of Jesus Christ, having accepted Him to a heart, and we say the old has passed away, um, all things are become new. You can't be new without prayer. You, you, you can't get into heaven without prayer. Access to the kingdom of God starts with this, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I ask you through prayer, I ask you to come in my heart and save me. And our spiritual life begins with prayer and it continues in prayer. And it's never to stop. That's the first prayer we pray, we pray, and it should never be the last. It's been said that prayer is to the soul what breathing is to the body. You don't have to think to breathe. At least most of us don't have to. That'd be rough if you had to think about breathing. We just do it. You have to think to not breathe, but you don't have to think about breathing. Breathing comes so naturally to us because the atmosphere around us that exerts pressure on our lungs and it literally forces us to breathe. And if we stop breathing, then we got real problems. When you enter into the spiritual atmosphere and the place where you enter God's presence, that moment when you come into His presence and you experience His grace, that atmosphere, that's not an atmosphere we dwell in all the time as Christians. It's one we have to intentionally enter into. But in that atmosphere, when we experience His presence and His grace, there is this pressure in the spiritual world that forces us, just like our atmosphere, there's an atmosphere in the spiritual world, and it forces us to pray. Just like, just like our atmosphere forces us to breathe, the spiritual atmosphere to the Christian, to the child of God, forces one to pray. There is this pressure that we feel within us. And only when you enter into that divine atmosphere, though, will you breathe the air of prayer. And Jesus talks about it. Just because we say we're praying and doing lip service to God doesn't mean we are. We preached about that on Sunday through Isaiah, the sermon that Jesus preached, and Jeremiah, and so many others. They say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You're saying prayers, but you're not inside that realm. You're not in that spiritual atmosphere. But once we're there, we have to pray. And it's only then that we can adequately survive the darkness in the world. But too many Christians hold their spiritual breaths for too long of periods of time. So, so we just expect that every once in a while we're going to get that breakthrough. And again, I'm not saying, well, I prayed over my meal tonight. That's great. Did you really pray? I mean, that's a real question. It's a question I have to ask myself, and I'm not going to give you the answer. <laughs> But did you really pray? We said words. But did you get into the spiritual atmosphere? Is that where you, is that where you, is that where you got into? Did you get into there this morning? Are we going to do that together as a church family in just a few minutes? Are we going to break through? We're going to be in the presence of God in a real way? And too many of us, we, we enter into that presence occasionally. We take a few gulps of air, if you will. And we pray, and then we're done. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to survive this world the way God intends in our relationships, in our church, in our home, in this world. We're not going to have the kind of impact He intends if that's the extent of our prayer life. 
there is no adequate substitute for prayer in your life. And if we're not careful, we confess Jesus. And even though we would never say we're humanistic and agnostic and all these things, we live like it. If, if all was exposed the way it is to God, we, we, we live like humanists. We say we're Christians, but we're not the kind of people of prayer that God intends for us to be. We're so easily satisfied with physical blessings. And if we're physically, if we've got the things that we need, if our needs are met and there's no crisis in our world, then our desire for spiritual blessings is extremely low. Some people have just given up on prayer entirely. They know it's important, but it's too hard to mess with. They put it out of their thinking. They ignore it. Or they substitute it for quiet meditation or maybe time alone. And so, yes, I have this time set apart for prayer, but I'm not really praying. I'm quiet and I'm alone and, and, and maybe I'm going through some meditative process, but it's not the kind that God intends. And those same people who've given up on prayer or who don't pray sincerely will schedule time for family and friends that they love, that they respect in order to talk through an issue or a problem. They'll call their teacher, they'll make an appointment with pastor, or me, <laughs> we'll make a phone call, we'll schedule a coffee appointment, we'll ask for people's time. Now, is that wrong? No. But why do we do that? Because we need advice, we need guidance, and we need wisdom. And so we're looking for it. And, 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 and we need those things, and we're there for one another, and that's part of being a church family, or family, or friends. And these conversations are held in high regard because often gain is produced from them. And that is exactly how we should be thinking about prayer. And yet we'll schedule the coffee appointment, we'll make the phone call, send the email, long before we ever pray, and we may never actually pray about that specific issue that we're hurting over, or that we need guidance from, or that, or that we need direction for. Prayer is essential to the believer's ability to properly function in the world. It changes the circumstances of our lives. What do you want changed in your life? What about you as an individual? When you get up and you look in the mirror and you see certain things that you just don't like, what do you want different? What do you want changed? What kind of direction do you need or someone close to you? What kind of direction do they need? What kind of impact do you want to have? What do you want? What ails you? What frustrates you? What irritates you? In Luke 11, verse 1, disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, they say these words, teach us to pray. Disciples could have asked the Lord how to turn water into wine. That's a pretty cool trick. Like, Lord, I'd like to know how to do that. They could have asked him how to walk on water. That would have been awesome. I would like to learn how to do that. They could have asked him to catch more fish with money in their mouths. I like to fish. I'd be fi I wouldn't stop fishing if I could figure that out, pull coins out of the mouth. They could have asked him how to heal hurting people. I'd love to know how to do that. And they asked him none of these things. They looked at Jesus. They assessed the totality of his life, all of his miracles, all the things he did. And they come to him and they say, Lord, we think what makes you different 
is you pray. That, we, we think that's the source of your power. We think that's like, like you are doing this so consistently and we're watching this pattern in your life. You're so unique and different. That's got to be it. That's got to be the source of power. And so what did they say? They cut by all those other periphery things and they just said, Lord, teach us that. Where all this other good comes from. Teach us the source of it. Lord, teach us to pray. They recognized that there was special power. Came through prayer. When Jesus prayed, things happened. And they'd watch him get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord. And then they'd watch what happened throughout the course of that day and go, wow. He prayed. And these things happened and they took place. They must have watched him as he went away to pray. They must have watched him as he had so much burden on his shoulders. And he'd come back renewed and changed, filled with grace and power. They watched a visible difference in his disposition, in his authority, in his presence through the power he achieved through prayer. Luke 11, 1, it says, and it came to pass that as he was praying, and then it says, in a certain place. And when he ceased, so you get this idea, here's Jesus praying, and these guys are watching him pray, and they're talking about him praying. They're visibly watching because when he stops praying, okay, he's done. Got a question for you. Teach us to pray like that. So they're, they're kind of creeping on a little bit. And they're watching him. And they say, Lord, we want to pray like that. Disciples watched the greatest prayer-er, prayer in history. They marveled at the impact of his life. James, years later, would put it this way. Pray one for another. Pray for each other. Why? Well, that you may be healed. You be helped. When we pray for one another, there's a difference that's made. There's a help to be found. He says, effectual, the fervent prayer of a righteous man. He said, it avails much. The, the word availeth is the idea of strength and advantage and profit. We have, we have prayer, uh, prayerless tonight. We have missionaries, two of them, that stood here last Wednesday night. Pray for us. I mean, West Gasway in Egypt, pray for me. Josh Hederman starting a new work in, in Lima, Peru. Pray for me. What are they asking for? They're asking for an advantage. They're asking for profit, spiritual profit. Say, look, we're, we're willing to give up a lot. We're willing to go around the world and do things that most people aren't willing to do. And we need an advantage and we need strength and we need profit. This church and the people in it, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they need an advantage. They need profit. Our nation needs an advantage and profit and strength. And whatever you think about anyone holding a political office, that man has power and influence over your life. Pray for them. So we're instructed to do, to pray. Too often, we try to accomplish good in the absence of God's power. We'll give up a lot of time to make sure we cast a vote and spend no time in prayer. We'll worry about people. We'll do all sorts of things but not pray for them. And we are poor for it. Imagine the difference you could make if you were to pray like the people in God's Word prayed. See, prayer isn't just about changing circumstances either. 
Yes, it does. We're taught that. And Jesus taught that. And his life was evidence of that. But it's not just about the circumstances that change. We want them to change. First and foremost, the change that takes place through prayer is you and I. And we can't afford not to change. And eternity's hanging for many of us in the balance and the rewards that God might have for us on our prayer life. Perhaps the greatest purpose of prayer is less about asking God to do something than it is about expressing our heart to God and then opening ourselves up to His will and getting on board with Him. Because what you want may not be what He wants. And what you see is limited. We go through Ecclesiastes and, 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 and Solomon said, he, He's up there and you're down there. And it's not, again, I said this Sunday, it's not a matter of distance. That's a matter of perspective. Understanding who he is and what he sees and what he understands and what he knows. And he's in it for the long, your, your long-term good. And this was part of the prayer. We'll study later that thy will be done. But when we ask for God's help or we ask for God to act in some way, how does God typically respond to that? Well, sometimes he does what can only be classified as miraculous. There are moments of divine intervention that I have seen in my life. No doubt you have seen them as well. In those moments, they suspend the laws of nature in response to someone's prayer. We see this frequently in the medical industry. And, you know, we hear the reports and the doctor comes in and says, I, don't get, I can't get this, but everything's clear now. You know, I don't understand that. For every time the doctor says that, or ten times, when he's not able to say that, and, and when he doesn't say that. We call miracles miracles, but it's because they don't happen frequently. By definition, miracles are not God's ordinary way of working. God's primary way of answering prayer is working in us, and then working through us, and empowering us, and leading us into action. Pray for lost souls. Pray for someone at church that needs encouragement. Pray for a difference to be made in the ministry. Pray for the missionary. And God says, yep, now give your money. Yep, now pass out that track. Yep, now say a kind word. Mow their lawn. Do a good deed. Give that man a $20 bill. Pay for their lunch. Serve them in some way. See, our prayer trains our heart on the object of our concern. And to the degree that we are able... Our prayer begins to move us to action. Ora et labora. It's a Latin phrase. It means this. Pray and work. They go together. We pray and we act. We pray and we do. We pray and we work. We pray and we forgive. We pray and we love. We pray and we take them back. We pray and we get things right. We pray and we fix. We pray and we grow. We pray, we give mercy, we give grace, we give love, we give service. We pray and we turn the other cheek. That's the instruction here. The prayer Jesus taught his disciple is filled with imperative verbs. The imperative verb is an action, a speaker or writer wants someone else to do. And so Jesus here, is, he, he, he gives us this prayer. And this is the list of things that we want done. Jesus says, okay, hold on a second. Before we get there, let me give you some direction on that. 
We ask God to hollow his name. And he says, you hollow it. We ask God to make his kingdom come. He says, get to work. We ask God for his will to be done. Have a good attitude about the life you have, the circumstances you're in. Give us our daily bread, and we're going to work hard. Forgive us, lead us, deliver us. And aside from the request for forgiveness, every other petition in this prayer is meant to open our heart so that God will use us to be part of the answer to our own prayer. Aside from that request, all others have to do with action. Prayer enables us to become what we otherwise could not and would not be. We literally become that which we pray. Unfortunately, too many believers don't get serious about prayer until a problem occurs in their life or the life of another person. And then all of a sudden, oh, now we pray. Perhaps that's one of the reasons that God allows those things to happen. There are others. That certainly could potentially be one. Because then we pray. We pray specifically, not generically. We pray intently and with fervor. And we pray persistently. We don't give up. Okay. But emergencies aside, in the life that we have now, Paul instructed us, Ephesians 6.18, praying always, regardless of the circumstance, when things are good and when they're not, with all prayer and with supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with guardedness. This is the idea of effort and work. He says, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The idea of perseverance is the idea of holding fast, not letting go, courageously persistent, going to keep going. Prayer takes energy. It takes effort. It takes concentration. It takes work. But do it. We are to be sensitive to the needs of other people and pray for them. We're to be sensitive to the problems in our world, in our community, in our church and homes and pray for them. We're to be sensitive to what's wrong. We are to seek to make it right. We are to take those concerns, those heartaches to God and bring them before Him. And Paul said for Timothy, he said, Timothy, I pray for you day and night. We are to fellowship with the Lord, yes. We are to engage Him in our lives. One author, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote this. He said, it is the highest activity of the human soul. And therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Ultimately, therefore, a man discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private, when he is alone with God. And have we not at all known what it is to find that somehow we have less to say to God when we are alone than when we are in the presence of other people? It should not be so, but it often is. So it is when we have left the realm of activities and outward dealings with other people, when we are alone with God, that we really know where we stand in a spiritual sense. We need to cultivate a discipline inside of our hearts so that when we are alone with God, 
we know what to say. That we don't shut down in silence. That our minds don't wander and sleep overtakes us. That we can talk to God the way that we would someone at a coffee shop for minutes on end. And you fill in that length of time. There needs to be this kind of ongoing relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's not to guilt you. It's to challenge you to grow, to become bigger, to become better in this area. We are people who need prayer, and we are people who need to pray. And if we're serious at all tonight about our Christian commitment, then we will naturally want to grow in prayer, and we will naturally want to continue to learn. And so by God's grace, um, tonight we'll begin that process. And we'll look at God and say, Lord, help us to pray. Teach us this.